Our next reading scripture is going to come from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to stand as you're able in body or in spirit for the reading of our Gospel lesson. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to the guest, be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said, Lord, Lord, my possessions, I will give to the poor. As I, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay them back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of God has come to seek and save out the lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Amy did a wonderful job this morning of kind of talking to you about this story. This is a story you know. We, we, I mean, come on, guys. We sang the song this morning. There are certain biblical stories that you know so well that they've got a song attached to them. And many of us know songs uh, that we sing. And I, I, love, I love that concept. I, I, that's one of the things I love about these sermons we're doing now, these, 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 song, these, these scriptures we're looking at, is these are scriptures that are so simple that we teach them to our children in song form. We sing them around the house. I love that. But they're so complicated that there's so much beneath the surface that if we'll stop and look for just a minute, we'll find some really, really neat things. I think that's important for us to bathe our lives in Scripture. Um, you, uh, you, you may get my Rooted in Christ devotional that I send out every day. And uh, one of the past week was on one of my favorite passages in the Bible, uh, Philippians 4, where Paul says, whatever is good, noble, and pure, my brothers and sisters, think on these things. I love that concept because our world is doing everything in its power to get us to think on things that make us angry. You don't believe me, log on Facebook right now. It's like our world is predicated on getting us to be enraged at all times. My brothers and sisters, this should not be so. For the work tells us to think on whatever is lovely and pure and beautiful and kind, to think on these things. So what are we thinking about? What is it filling our minds? What filling our heads? What is it filling our, our, our free time and our brain? Is it the beauty of Scripture? Or is it the latest fad that everyone said we need to be really angry about right now? One path leads to peace. One leads to anger. It's kind of our choice to follow. So that's why I think these stories are so important. They remind us of the beautiful, simple things we learned as children. They can fill our hearts, and our minds, and our souls with peace and God's grace. So this one, I mean, you know it's a good, good story if they got a song attached to it. You know, we grew up singing that song. You know, you know the other ones, you know, the, other, the other passages that have songs attached to them. I mean, you do, some of you don't. According to early service, talk to the songs, some folks look like I had three heads, you know. Father Abraham had many sons, and there you go. 
I am one of them and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. For those of you who don't know that one, that's basically the Christian hokey pokey. You put your right arm and you do something with it, then you, you, it winds up with you shaking your booty. You know, that's just where it winds up every time. So, you know, Father Abraham. Noah, he built him, he built him a archy-archy. That's right. We sang that one. I feel like I'm back in Bible school. And then Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. These songs are a constant part of our childhood, a constant part of the life of the church. These songs are why VeggieTales exist. You know, this is, this is part of the beauty of our faith that marinates our life. And it's so important for us to know these songs, these stories, these biblical passages. But then I think it's so important for us to look just a bit deeper, to see what we can learn. Because as wonderful as these stories are, and as encouraging thing as these are for our children to sing and read and know, there's also some really deep stuff that we as adults can look at and can understand. So in today's passage, there's a few things I really want to look at as we read today. One of them, it says, the first thing it says is Zacchaeus, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. It's interesting. That's the only time that phrase, chief tax collector, is used in the Bible. Only that one place. It's used nowhere else. We don't really know what that means. It means one of two things. First, it could mean that he was like uh, in middle management, that he was like the Michael Scott of tax collectors in, in Judea. Like, you know, he, he was a middle management. He was, he was a manager. He had folks under him. Maybe. That could mean that. But most scholars think what that means is this, that he was really good at his job, that he was the tax collector that collected the most money, that he was the tax collector that got the most out of people. And, and Amy did a great job talking to you about how the tax collectors worked in that part of the world. Um, you know, y'all, come on, tax collectors. Tax collectors and lawyers, that's easy jokes to make, y'all. That's low-hanging fruit. Everybody can make fun of them. So, of course, nobody likes tax collectors. Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, yeah, we get it. But let, let, let's pull back for a second to talk about, biblically, who tax collectors were. Let's go back in history. If you remember Babylon and Persia and the Greeks, those were the first empires that really conquered that part of the world. And what's interesting about those empires is they wanted to make you one of them. Babylon wanted you to be a Babylonian. That's why they took Daniel and everybody back to Babylon, to make them Babylonian. Greece, they wanted you to be Greek. Alexander, you know, he conquered the world, and Alexander wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. Conquered everything. Alexander wanted you to be Greek. He wanted to Hellenize the world. Rome, Rome didn't care. Rome did not care one iota what you did. They, they did not care. All they cared about was that you paid your taxes. That's all they cared about. So, like, they didn't want to make you Roman. Now, there were, there, were, there were advantages to being Roman. You know, Paul was Roman. If you were Roman, there were advantages to it, but Rome didn't much care as long as you paid your taxes. So you can do your weird religious practices like the Jews did. The Romans didn't understand the, Roman sac the Jewish sacrificial system. They thought it was weird. They didn't care for it. But fine, you do you. Just pay your taxes. That's all we want you to do. Pay your taxes. It'll be fine. 
Well, here's how Rome would collect their taxes. They would hire a local. They would hire a local to collect the taxes in that part of the world. So in Asia Minor, they would hire somebody from there. In Judea, they would hire a Jew to collect the taxes. Well, here's the thing about the Jewish people. Babylon conquered them in 586 B.C. Ever since then, till 1948, they were under some other controlling government. Babylon, to Greece, to Rome, to the Ottomans, to the British. They always resented and were angry at those who conquered them. And so they were always trying to kick off, kick out the ones who had conquered and oppressed them. The Jews, probably more so than any people in human history, have an, have an identity and a pride in who they are. And so they were always, always resentful of those folks that were conquering them. You know why they hated tax collectors? Because they were traitors. They were traitors to their own people and traitors to their God. They sold out the Jewish people to make a buck. That's why they hated them. It wasn't because of the tax thing. Well, they, nobody liked taxes. It was about the fact that they were traitors to their people. And here's what makes it worse. So the tax collector would say, you owe, you owe Rome a dollar and a half. Guess what? You're going to pay three. Or if you don't, the Roman legion is going to be at your door tomorrow. Not only were they traitors to their own people, but they used the power of Rome to steal from their own people. Tax collectors were despised by all of them. In fact, it's interesting. There was a group of people in that culture named Zealots. And the Zealots were a group of revolutionaries who they wanted to throw off Rome. Some people think Barnabas, uh, I mean Barabbas, could have been a zealot. Like he, they wanted to throw off the Romans, kill the Romans. And the zealots would carry in their cloak a dagger. So that a zealot, if an opportunity presented itself to kill a Roman, they would kill the Roman if the chance came along. And the only people the zealots hated more than the Romans were tax collectors. And Jesus' disciples... He had Matthew, who was a tax collector, and one named Simon, who was a zealot. I'm sure Simon and Matthew argued on Facebook a lot. They despised each other. They despised each other's history. They despised each other's beliefs. Could do because of Jesus, work together. Y'all, if we put Jesus Christ in the center of our life together, we can always work through differences. But if we put our differences in the center of our life together, we will destroy each other. Simon and Matthew could work together because they put Jesus in the middle. And when Jesus is in the middle, he always finds a way to work it out. If not, we'll destroy each other. It's that simple. Simon and Matthew would have destroyed each other if not for Jesus. But Jesus made a way for them to work together.
kingdom. So Zacchaeus was a tax, a tax collector, and everybody hated him. And so that, and that's why when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to your house, everybody's like, wait, wait, what? Why you go to his house? You go to him. And Jesus said this. He said, I must go. Jesus, he said the last thing in this passage, he said, I've come to seek lost. Luke, uh, Jesus going to the least, the last, the lost. Over and over in Luke's gospel, Jesus goes to the lost. He goes to the lost collector. And look at the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep, the lost prodigal. And Jesus, in, in Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus is always seeking out the lost. The one The one that the law must go. When Zacchaeus, Jesus says this, he says in verse 9, Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is the child of Abraham. Today, that's a constant thing. Luke, today, Kairos, God's time. What did the angels say to the shepherds earlier in Luke? For today has been born to you a child. Today, Kairos, God's time. You know, God would do a lot better if he would just do things on my schedule. If God would, if he just, if God would just do things when I want him to do them, on my time and on my schedule, then it would be just right. But no, God's got to do it on his time like he knows more than me. We don't like it when God works on his time, do we? We want him to work on our time. We want him to work on our schedule when we want it done. We want God to work on Kronos, our time. Jesus says, today, Kairos, my time, salvation has come to this house. We become very impatient when God does not work on our schedule, don't we? Perhaps he doesn't work on our schedule because he's teaching us to have faith and how to trust and to remind us that ultimately I am not God. I'm just a human. And that there's one wiser and smarter than me sitting on the throne in heaven who's in control. And I need to live on his time not on mine. But today we see the very point of this passage in the very end when Jesus says, for he too is a son of Abraham. We see that Jesus loves Zacchaeus in spite of everything, that he loves him in spite of his weakness, in spite of his failures, in spite of his stealing, in spite of everything that Zacchaeus had done. Jesus still loved him. That's something radical to think about, y'all. Jesus knows everything you've done. He knows everything you said, everything you thought, everything you've ever done. Jesus knows all of these things, everything. He knows everything you've done, everything you're going to do. He knows it all. He knows everything about you. The word says, before a word is on your tongue, he knows it. And he loves you anyway. It doesn't matter that Zacchaeus was a traitor to the people. It doesn't matter that Zacchaeus even betrayed God. Jesus still loved him. 
He didn't love Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus had done anything to earn it. He loved Zacchaeus because Jesus Christ loves us. But here's the cool part about the story. What do we see from Zacchaeus after he experienced Jesus' love? We see a transformation. We see in Zacchaeus a penitent life. We see in a life that has been transformed by the grace of God. An encounter with Jesus will transform us. We will be different after we have met Jesus, after we have encountered Jesus, after we have tasted the goodness of the grace of Jesus Christ. We will be different. Jesus loves us just as we are. But he does not keep us just as we are. An encounter with Jesus must change us. An encounter with Jesus must impact us. An encounter with Jesus must grow us. We cannot be the same after we have met Jesus. Jesus loved Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus encountered Jesus' transformative love. And because of that love, he was transformed. Jesus loves you right now, just as you are. But he does not intend for you to stay just as you are. He intends for you to grow in his grace. So that's what God's grace does, y'all. It changes us. It makes us different people. It grows us. To use church words, it makes us holy. It makes us different. We see in Jesus a radical love that changed Zacchaeus. And so for us today, we need to know that we're loved. And that God loves us more than we can imagine. And that love has got to change our hearts and our minds. But likewise, y'all, for those folk outside of here... Those folk were arguing with on Facebook. Jesus loves them too. And you will never judge or shame another person into heaven. Let me repeat that. You will never judge or shame another person into heaven. But you can love them into heaven. You can love them into heaven. That's our mission, y'all. Sometimes we're Zacchaeus. And sometimes we need to know the love of God. And we have that encounter with God. Because Zacchaeus was also a son of Abraham. But sometimes, y'all, we've got to love those hard-headed lost folk into heaven. Because Jesus Christ loves them so very much. And he has sent us there to love them as well. So may we know how much we're loved. May we encounter our Savior. And we love this world with that all-consuming love of our Savior. Let's pray.